Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Interverse. It's me, your host, Chance, coming at you from April 4th, 2022 at 4-4 Death's Door, day of springtime. And tonight we've got a double dose of channeling that C-H-A-N vibe, because in this chat we'll be chilling with the ever so charming Chaney from the Project Chaney podcast. Chaney is a host that probably most of you are familiar with as she's made the rounds on Many of the excellent shows that interconnect in our podcasting tribe, like False Reality Check and the Cosmic Keys podcast, to name a few. But if you're new to her work and you're wondering what to expect, I'd say what is most exciting to me about Cheney Chats is her consistently contrarian questioning of all the narratives all the time. Without sticking to one explanation, she can take a Hollyweird hex and turn it 10 different ways from Sunday and... We have a lot of fun exploring the many possibilities of the the narrative spellcraft and the various ways of MK Ultra everything <laughs> that we experience in the world all the time. So, yeah, without uh, being too verbose in the intro, I'd love to get into it with you. So let's remind everyone, check out Project Cheney. Her podcast is all over the places where podcasts can be found. And if there's anything else I forgot to let them know about that you're up to, like your excellent Telegram chat. Let him know. And welcome to the Interverse, Chaney. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me, Chance. This is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I know. Last time we got to talk was a lot of fun. And soon people will be able to hear that, too. I know. They'll probably... Uh, we're My show has this really uncanny, synchronistic way of hooking up with the universe, too. So when I recorded with you, I wasn't... We didn't even have this planned. It was impromptu one night that I was like, you know what? I'm going to... Yes, on this date. And so now I'm like, they'll probably end up coming out together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like... I don't know what they call that. It's not a swap cast, right? But... We do each other's shows at the same time. Yeah. So if you want to hear us have a conversation from, I don't know, back in February, but we got into a lot of the deep, deep synchro mystic rabbit holes that I've been into since I did that spirit world audiobook. It looks like maybe you froze up. Are you just very still? I'm just chilling. Wow. You're so still. <laughs> I'm like always really bouncy and movie, especially now that I'm standing. <laughs> But yeah, so what do you want to get into today? Is there anything on your mind? I know that you're always kind of taking in information and mixing it up. Uh, um, I try to avoid the the news, but you already brought up before we started recording the smithing of wills. <laughs> the smithing of wills. I know I the thing I've been looking at today, it's so funny. You said the cosmic keys. They sent me this amazing calendar. Oh, yeah, and- I got mine right there. It's so rad. And so I was looking through it today and there is like a full blood moon lunar eclipse coming up in May. I think it's May, like in maybe May 16th. And I can't find it anywhere. But somebody had told me before I knew the date of it, that it was supposed to be like the first time this kind, I think it's the lunar event, because there's a solar, a partial solar eclipse at the end of May, um, that it's like the first time for something like this to happen in this like crazy amount of thousands of years. And the last time it could be seen was from like the Egypt, Africa slice of Earth. So this time you'll be able to see it from the Americas. and And that just is crazy to me. Yeah, that's the thing about sky clock stuff that blows my mind. It's like, oh, how long does it take for it to like fully reset, reset? You know, like almost everything is kind of unique to our lifetimes, especially with the further out planets or 
you know, this type of eclipse happening at this exact time. And it's constantly in a cycle of spiraling return, yet always expressing a unique moment. Nature's weird. I, and I see, you know, like there's hate that goes on to it. We could debate on what animal is what stars, or we could debate on what characteristics are what the traits of each of the horoscopes. Like we could go through all these different types of horoscopes or a way to look at that clock above us, but it's not disputed that there is something going on above us that's pretty precise. And there might have been civilizations way before us, thousands of years that knew it in a way that we aren't on the calendar of now. Yeah. I think it's such a big conspiracy time. It, it might be the might be the conspiracy because it really might not exist beyond our measurement of it and our measurement systems. Like I was just thinking yesterday about no, it was today. It was today. I was listening to Homie Romy from Rising from the Ashes talking to our friend Kaylee about astrology. And the thought strikes me now and again about how like, well, what if we didn't have this story of these are the exact processions of like this house means this and divided into 12 and this is the order that things develop. Like what if that is influencing every human being's hero's journey? Because that's the archetypal framework that the collective consciousness is running on. But if we had like, I don't know, a different story would that, would it work that way? Or is it baked into nature that this is the order of operations? Do you get what I'm getting at? Yeah. Like what if the first like 10 scorpions you ever met in your life were assholes and now everyone just thinks Scorpios are assholes. <laughs> it seems See, so that's ridiculous. That's a perfect example because the Scorpio was the eagle before it was a scorpion. Very different. That's a perfect feel. example. Way different of a feel and actually makes more sense um there is i wish i knew the school of thought but it's the lifestyle or the life cycle of a scorpion is scorpion to eagle to phoenix like not everything gets the same life cycles but that's what do you it. what do you mean by that scorpion the eagle to phoenix like in the in terms of that quadrant of the zodiac I almost wonder if it's um, the same as like uh, maiden mother crone, like if it's your three mm. stages of life cycle somewhere, like they split it into thirds. And so they say um, like a Scorpio tends to be like um, maybe more grounded, maybe uh, more watery, may, you know, like those two parts. And then as they become maybe water air i know i've just started to see like eagles swimming like doing brushstrokes and uh i like the visual of the ocean on fire that is like a visual of scorpion to me mm, i think about too like the reading of auguries and um bird language how supposedly you know those crazy romans they wouldn't do anything without checking with the guy who watches birds first <laughs> I mean, for the bird, for the eagle, Aquila, as it was known to be in that position of fixed water mm -hmm. is kind of bizarre, right? Because so crazy. It's a bird, you know, or even a scorpion. Yeah. What's a scorpion have to do with fixed water? But I guess a lot of the signs are that way. What does but, the ram have to do with fire? Um, there is huge, there's 
I, I don't know if how real this is, but there's prehistoric, like um, big, huge fossils of enormous scorpions that they say were ocean dwellers. Like that's where the biggest scorpions used to be was on the floor of the ocean. But then you're like, eh, was that just another flooded city? <laughs> like they found it underwater now, but what does it mean? That's terrifying to consider giant scorpions, dinosaur scorpions. Well, isn't that the whole, the um, Medusa right before, who fights Medusa? Perseus. Perseus. Right before Perseus fights Medusa, he goes through the scorpions and they're enormous. Does he? I think so. I think he fights the scorpions first. I must have missed that part of the Before he gets to the serpent. And if you kind of think of the Zodiac with the Pacific. He does go to the three crones before he goes to Mm -hmm. fight Medusa, I'm pretty sure. And they have to like share an eyeball amongst each other. And he steals their eyeball so that they'll tell him how to beat the Medusa or something like that. I'm probably butchering it. Something I know that's uh, the Clash of the Titans. I watched the newer one not too long ago and it like made it made the old one delete out of my head. And now I'm like, I have to rewatch the old one. That's kind of an interesting way of putting it. Is that the point of reboots and remakes to delete the old one out of your head? Probably. And to get rid of like whatever real little tidbits of information were in there. Hmm. Yeah, it does seem like. Every iteration of the Chinese whispers game, things get more and more corrupted. And that's probably what we're looking at with our version of astrology, too. Yeah. And Clash of the Titans seems definitely like something we should keep in our uh, like even when I was growing up, they taught us a lot about Gulliver's travels. I remember reading that in school. I don't hear kids talking about giants now trying to get rid of them all. Like Mm. we had Jack and the Beanstalk. We had giants everywhere growing up you kids have giants as much as we did i don't know <laughs> what are the kids i'm not up with the, I don't what, know what the, the kids, kids are, are doing on. these days i don't know what the kids are on on their tiktok <laughs> they're on dissociative identity disorder that's oh, what tiktok's all so about crazy yeah we you were with us on the weave last weekend weaving spiders and we really got into that and i w- didn't realize how much of the Mars Aries thing was getting encoded with the idea of disassociative identity disorder, which the, which is what they're calling it. I guess it used to be multiple personality disorder. It's even weird that they're sort of changing up the terminology of it too. Wasn't it? What's schizophrenia? Is that either one of these? I feel like both of those would be schizophrenia, right? Yeah. Isn't that, that's what it was when I, I'm so old. It was, used to be called schizophrenia. <laughs> 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 that word's too hard for people. They need a nice a- acronym now. I know. It's such a crazy... Um, I worked with a woman once who was schizophrenic and she heard voices in her head and she was a dictator for the attorney we worked for. So she heard voices in her head and all day she listened to him, his recorded voice in her head and dictated it. That it would be crazy. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> Probably hard the craziest to craziest part, she would absorb tiny parts of your conversation. Like, so she would hear little things about me. And there was like stories of other girls in our office. You know, it was in Los Angeles. So the tales that we would tell each other over the weekend or whatnot. And then this lady, her name was, I'll just say it started with a D. I won't say her name. Um, she's probably not alive anymore. Rest in peace, lady. Um, but she would just scream out randomly like, Shaquille O'Neal and Cheney's dad. 
<laughs> like the most ridiculous, but it was always really aggressive and really like angry toward you. But if she ever walked by you and made eye contact, she'd be like, how are you doing today, Chance? And you'd be like, fine. Like, but in her corner with her dictation ears in, she was just talking shit about you to the voices in her head. Man, that is kind of like Tourette's-y, I think. There was parts of it where it was just losing that uh but it made sense it was like the voices were making her yell things like she was always talking to them hmm. she didn't become them though that's different i think schizophrenia you hear voices in your head and multiple personality you actually become other personalities so yeah, i think she just heard voices in her head for a while yeah i think she just heard that's the schizophrenic yeah she just heard voices in her head yeah, and I think schizophrenia can be just categorized as like general delusion, losing touch with objective reality, maybe is part of that spectrum. I sometimes yeah, think about that spectrum. just because like what we, you know, going back to weaving spiders, what we're doing there when we tackle crazy, synchromistic, searching for connections and everything and seeing how all the things connect to all the other things. That's Boarding into the range of like what a schizophrenic worldview actually looks like. So <laughs> I'm very curious about the question. Like, I don't feel like I'm slipping or anything or losing touch with whatever objectivity is, if there's such a thing. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I'm the losing outside, touch like, of what does reality. That look like, I wonder. <laughs> what is reality now? I don't, whatever the reality that they're selling to me, I'm definitely not in touch with it anymore. So, uh oh. <laughs> What is real? <laughs> I don't believe in the war. I don't believe in the Hollywood. I don't believe in the news. I don't believe in the narrative. So, uh oh, <laughs> there must be another word for it. Yeah, I'm constantly <laughs> doubting all of those things myself. Now that we're on this question of worldview, though, which I think worldview warfare is really what all of those narratives are for get us to harm ourselves by harming our perspective of what we are in the world we live in. Okay, what is your sort of like cosmological compass? I'm sure it's always shifting and changing, mm -hmm. but if you had to uh, tell somebody right now in, in detail, like what you think life is and what it's for, how would you go about articulating it? I heard this philosophy last night and it's, I've been thinking about it on and off. And what if, you get reincarnated until you learn how to love God. And mm. if God is in turn you and you are God, what if you're reincarnated until you learn how to love yourself? I can like it. this whole, um, I kind of, my world view is that every person out there, that you come in contact with has a tiny piece of a puzzle. Some people have a million pieces of the puzzle. Some religions have pieces of the puzzle. Some music you hear have pieces of the puzzle. Some books you read have pieces of the puzzle. All that stuff added together is your direct aperture and view of the world. So if you live in your authenticity and you allow your tools of discernment and love and joy in your highest frequency to come through that and you walk forward with that view, you expand God. And so I think the more authentic and in love that you live, you 
make God the whole bigger. You make God expand and you make all of us expand. Like we all keep healing and growing. And it's like there's levels up. I think we have superpowers that open up to us like natural gifts. But I believe they were superpowers that were taken away from us. We're just getting in touch with them again. It used to be very natural for us to be able to have conversations with each other, telecommunicate without words or grunts. Um, I think the harmonies we probably used to be able to all come together and do could move mountains or pyramids. I, I think the where we're headed it can't be written in a book yet. All the books that have been written are the grunts of what we can understand because of the, like you can only describe a UFO as a chariot of fire if you've never have anything else. But if you were to write that same thing now, you'd call it, oh, it was a Ferrari of fire. It, it's like the exact, you just use the words you have. So I think we're expanding God and God's excited about that because we're supposed to become the companion to God. God's lonely as fuck. And he's sitting up there waiting for us to get it. So he doesn't have to be lonely anymore. And it's not like a he or they, and we're attached to the whole, but you won't have the experience of being God until you die, whatever that means, leave this flesh. And then when you become God, you will spend your entire, there is no time or space, but your entire existence trying to create everything to make sure that you are you now. So every war and every flower that bloomed and every conversation and every famine and every feast and everything that made up to you now, just so you get some shot at experiencing that love again in human flesh. And so it's, this is like recycling. That's what I kind of think right now. (laughs) So like God has disassociative identity disorder. (laughs) No, I think that if you came down here, Having all the answers, you would experience none of the sorrow and none of the grief. And without the pain, like your heart has to break to keep expanding. I think people have it the wrong way. I think you have to and it experience. It doesn't really break. That's the miracle of it, too. I think you, you can be heartbroken to death. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, the, but that source or that core of what it is, is kind of unquenchable. No, I think what's happening in that moment is like your heart is this glass. And when you feel it shatter, it hurts like a motherfucker. When you lose someone, a relationship, when somebody dies, it shatters and it rebuilds a new heart. And it's bigger than the heart you had before. So all the energy you had in there feels empty compared to what you used to have because your heart needs more energy to fill it. But every time you fill it all the way to the edge again, it breaks again. And then when the new heart builds around it, it feels half full again because now your heart's even bigger. So I feel like you kind of need this sorrow and grief and loss to understand how much you love. And I think people are so scared of the sorrow side of love. They're so scared of the losing side of love. Um, But that kind of, it's the pain part when you really get it. And that's, it's, it's crazy that it's the pain part. You might be all in the swell. You might be having the tantric sex of your life with the person that you love most. And you're on this journey. Those moments are so fleeting. 
And so to live your whole life for those fleeting little moments, those butterflies while you first grab somebody's hand or hold a baby, like those moments are spectacular. Those moments are past love. Those are God. Like those are past just the emotion of love. There's something grander. There's something we all understand. Um, yeah. I don't even I know feel how you. sense that made. Yeah. I was thinking about the heart chakra in Sanskrit, the word anahata, which means unstruck, unhurt, unbeaten. Kind of interesting that. Unbeaten. Unbeaten. Just a still heart. It's kind of the idea I believe is like that it's a drum and it has its pulse and rhythm, but nothing's actually striking it. It like self, it strikes itself. <laughs> and when you it's think about what. Smithed. Yeah. And what you're saying is totally right. I really love the poet Khalil Gibran. And he taught me a long time ago. I mean, not personally, he's been dead a long time, but (laughs) I learned from (laughs) reading his works a long time ago, just how deep the truth is that you have to have sorrow to have joy. And that shows up in the biofield when I do uh, sound healing work for people as well, that a lot of times when people are like kind of in a blah feeling stuck or uninspired area of life is and they can't, they don't get that full joy that you're talking about from picking up the baby or smelling the flowers. It's because they're pushing away things that give them grief, things that made them mm-hmm. sad. And the trick is to just like inhale all of the <laughs> aromas of life. Mindfulness is a real, is the real trick because you, you have to, you can't shut off. I think what shut off our mindfulness is the repression of parts of ourselves we were told we were supposed to repress, right? Or yeah. that were distasteful to experience. And so the journey back to full fledged experience of living requires that we also breathe in all of the flavors, including including the heart heartbreaking stuff, the sad stuff, the bad smells, if you will, and just accept it all as part of the tapestry. Because you need one side to have the other. Yeah, everyone's like, loosh, 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 loosh. Everything's loosh, loosh, loosh. Everything isn't loosh. Like, you have to... And if you can say that word as many times as you want to say it, but until you become an observer of yourself and your energy in you, and this is looshing me, this person is looshing me, I'm being looshed. Until you're observing yourself, oh, what happens when this energy leaves me? What happens? They just said one sentence to me and my energy is all the way up here. I can feel my my face is flushed. The hair is standing up on my neck. Maybe I'm sweating. What happened with that one sentence or those few words? Why don't you observe yourself in those states more? Everybody's so scared. Like, why are you taking it so personally that Will Smith slapped Chris Rock? What is this emotion that you're attached to with that thing? Why are you getting... And there's so much fake outrage in the world about everything where people are more mad than the actual victim of the... Like, that's the new thing. It's like, it doesn't matter what your race, sex, color, or creed. People are more mad than the actual victim of the crime now. That's the new... Because nobody does anything for hobby anymore. It's just being outraged. But I think people are addicted to that feeling because they don't feel anything else. 
Like that's all they feel anymore. They've been locked in their house for two years. And so they only like that prattle, that arguing with a stranger online, that getting heated up and their hands shaking or whatever. And then righteous indignation. That. Yes. That's, it's just a really bizarre place to hear everybody use the words that sound like they're woke, but their actions seem more like the computer program than they'd care to admit. Uh, let's talk about the looshing again. <laughs> Back up. Because you can you can get looshed, so to speak. And to define that term, it's like your life force energy being drained out or eaten by you going into some sort of what you'd call what you'd categorize as negative, which is not the greatest word in the first place, but a self-harming type of emotional state. Now, I think we misunderstand it conceptually. By point pegging it on like archons or or aliens or whatever is here like behind the curtain of reality, just there to torment us and eat our sorrow. What if it's just a natural part of nature, natural nature, <laughs> to come fill a void and eat something that there's an excess of? So if we have lived in a society where we're not processing and integrating our grief and our sadness, and we're just holding it in our field and not realizing that by pushing it off to the side in our field, not recognizing it, not integrating it means that we generate the experiences in the external world that reflect the energy we're holding back to us all the time. So we just constantly keep seeing all the, the bad in the world. What if that brings in what we think of as parasites, but they're really just like scavengers, cleanup crew, the, the buzzard that comes to eat the roadkill, you know? That I don't mind that analogy. Like it's one of the when you're processing beer, um, you run it through a few categories and then it's almost like all of uh, the sugars that are left. The yeast is created because you almost have this cleanup crew that comes in and like that's why you don't end up with uh, that's how beer gets its whole flavor is from that cleanup crew. So maybe that's where we get our flavor. Maybe when that energy comes in, maybe the negative feels sometimes when it shoots through you, even if it feels gross, maybe it isn't a gross, like it's something you have to experience as a fracking of energy inside you. The gross leads to the growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. And everybody's so nervous of having that cleanup crew come in. I think it's imperative what you do with the energy. When you have it there, I think um, sometimes we project it onto other people or yell at somebody or take it out in traffic with road rage. I think if you exercise and that's where that stuff comes important because you're transferring this weird energy into a productive energy. And I think so once you observe whatever energy is going through you and you're like, I am heated right now. I am sad right now. I am what I once if it's too much and it's bubbling over and it's a negative energy, you have to give it out to the universe. Go ground out, go meditate, go work out. Um, try to be more cognizant of giving the good energy to other people or yourself. And then that bad energy, putting it somewhere, put it, hit a, hit a punching bag. Yeah, there, I mean, that's definitely one part of it, especially for, for me. Uh, maybe that applies to everyone, but I have a lot of this Mars energy. I need to do physical active stuff to feel 
even like I have a modicum of mental clarity. <laughs> but one thing to talk about sound healing again, I reference it all the time, but one of the most mysterious parts of energy healing for me that I'm currently seeking to understand better is what what is the mechanism or is it different for everybody where somebody crosses crosses the threshold to uncorking the grief or the sadness or whatever repressed thing that like makes them cry and have that release. Do you have any insight on like, is that something that maybe Hollywood is good for or something like giving you an instigator to cry something out and, and mirroring a particular type of trauma that you might've been hiding from yourself. And mm -hmm. you, then you relate to it and you cry, have a good cry from a movie or like, what do you, what do you have any thoughts on how to, bring out that flavor, that particular flavor of, of grief from within yourself so that Crying. what you know, what you know is kind of in there doesn't get lost in the shovel. I feel like tears, you know, sometimes you can sit by yourself and think yourself into tears or you're, you're watching the dodo or something on Instagram. But I think for me and my friends and my closest members of my family, I think the tears are really the talking. When you are talking, you're asking each other questions and you finally get to the one question where the story's brought up that kind of almost hits the trauma in a way that you didn't even realize. Like you're just saying, uh, oh, uh, yeah, my, my parents never let me stay home from school. Like I always had to go to school, no matter how sick I was, I always had to be at school and they're telling the story, not even connecting it. And then somebody else that knows them well enough or knows the story is like, oh, well, that's probably why you're so scared um, of telling anyone you're sick now. Like, that's probably why you carry always being sick and no one knows you're sick. And we're all walking around thinking you're grouchy, but you're like legitimately ill. That's from your parents. Like, and then it's like, oh my gosh. And then having that moment as an adult where you go back and you're like, it's okay for you as an adult to tell those adults in your life, you don't have to right now. You can do it right then. You go back, time travel, shut your eyes back then and say, hey, mom. It's not okay. He doesn't feel good. He has to stay home. And you might have to work today, but there has to be some arrangements that are made. It, this isn't okay. He doesn't feel good. And then even if you're not talking to the mom, you go to your little kid self. If you can get any adult to go back to that moment and you ask them, what would you have told your little kid self? What would you, would you hug them? Would you scold them? Would you tell him to get over it? Is it not that big of a deal? Or would you would you tell him it's okay? And that sometimes adults just suck. And that when they get older and they're sick, they don't have to go to work. They can call in and it's okay. Every Everything's going to go on. No one thinks less of them. Everybody thinks they have a great work ethic. But it's just when you can get an adult to see that little kid self, that is the moment. Like that will make adults cry, I think. And it's a good cry. And then I think the next step of being like, hug your little kid self, tell your little kid self to hug you back. That's the part everyone always forgets. They never allow the little kid to hug them back. Because would your little kid self be so stoked at the adult you are? I bet they would.
Like most of the time, I think too, your little kid self would be like, holy shit, you turned out so cool or beautiful or smart or all the adjectives that you thought were the thing, your little kid self would think that. And then your little kid self also knows all the shit you survived. And it's like, holy hell, you're a champion. So I think those are two yous that have to meet each other and tears will come. That's really good. <laughs> I mean, I've thought of that and maybe somewhat done that before, but never really like I do visualize meditations and things like that. But I, I was uh, getting pretty relentlessly self-analytical in a journal entry today and kind of putting the dots together on some things in my behavior and life that I want to change and why I feel behind in this area and, and whatnot. And was relating it all to things that were recent and current events, current situations. But now that I'm thinking about it, and it was helpful to do that, first of all, it was helpful, made some kind of progress, got over a hump, right? But now that I'm hearing this, I'm thinking maybe because I can relate this situation I'm thinking of without getting too personal back to stuff that happened to little kid me. Maybe I should just go all the way back to that next time I do a meditation. And visualize out exactly everything you just talked about. Just get straight to the core of it. Because it's one thing to know that there's this particular origin point of a abandonment trauma or whatever it is for you individually. But it's another to go and interface in that time travel way with your actual previous self. And I think that that's real. I do. I think that whenever we do go through the hardest times in our life and somehow we pull through it or we feel like unseen forces are helping us. That is us from some future point in the timeline, sending our consciousness back and our energy back and picking ourselves up off the floor, so to speak. Like back to the future when the picture fades, but then it comes back on, you know, when he's sitting there and he's playing on stage and his family's disappearing and he's like, Oh my gosh. And he almost like his hand stops working. But then his mom, his dad finally kisses his mom and he stands up and he's like, Oh my gosh. And he looks back at the picture and his family comes back in. It's kind of like those moments of time travel. If time travel is ever going to exist, then it means it will always exist and it always has existed. And so you have to believe if not you, some version of your family or you, anything that was going to F up for the history of mankind, one of the versions of you or in your family is going to come back and fix it. So why not you right now and sit next crisscross applesauce next to that latchkey kid. And some of the traumas, this is one I was thinking about the other day that I actually was like, well, I hated it. Everything that it led up to, and I'm glad I'm over it, but I also have a superpower from it. I used to sit next to my father at the dinner table and he was kind of surly and an asshole sometimes. And he was super intelligent guy. He was a professor in college before he owned a propane company. And um, I just want, no matter what I said at the table, this dude was like, where do you get your information? Where'd you find that out at? What book? Did you go to the library today? Did you read the paper? Did you watch the news? Did you just, no matter what I said, my goal at the table became because he just dictated the table to prove him wrong in front of my siblings and mom. And so I just started to research stuff I knew we'd never look at. I started to learn history better than him. And I started to learn science better than him. And he was like my Achilles heel that I was going to overcome just so I could prove him wrong at the table. And so it was this huge trauma that gave me this 
ever like never ending curiosity of the world. Maybe I always had it, but he made me have to validate it to myself. Like there was never an end to the question. He was almost like the reverse of a kid being like, but why, but why, but why? And so he made me come up with the who, what, when, where, why of it almost to a point that over the last two years I had to get to the, oh yeah, I miss philosophy. Like I miss just being able to ask a question and ask a question and ask a question and not have all the answers. <laughs> like he would never let it, like the philosophy broke from us. There was no more philosophy. We had to add facts. But uh, I definitely, it was trauma that looking at it, I'm like, well, I love that about myself now. I love that too. That's great. That's exactly what we're talking about how everything is love, even when it's <laughs> tough, even, <laughs> even when it causes what we experience as trauma, it's like all growth. Everything gross is for, for growth, for sure. And I'm glad that you got that experience of being inspired to look into the who, what, and the when, and the where, and the why, because it leads inevitably to like the deconstructing of all of those parameters, really. And the questioning of like, is there even such a thing as a history to begin with? Is there, is it possible to have true history at all? I know I like the term or it should just be a podcast name. I'm giving it out to someone. Um, if you're on your yacht every day from this podcast name, you can send me a check. Um, but there should be a podcast called Losers History. And it should just go. be real history. That's the losers never got a chance to write. Because the only things we read in books are the winner's history ever, ever, ever. And any part of your history, if I came into your village back when and I raped and pillaged your village and took the women and children and killed all the men or made them slaves, I would take what parts of your history I liked or what part your people wouldn't let go. And I'd wrap it into my history and that would become our new history. So you would lose your God, your goddess, your deities, your symbols, and I would just steal them. And if they were really powerful symbols, I would make them mine. So I'd bury them completely. So we're just going on and on and on with a winner's version of history. And I think there needs to be a podcast out there <laughs> called like Losers History. Yeah, that is kind of how we got to the point we are in the world today is a scavenger cannibalism of all. You can look at it like the world cultures and religions did seem to maybe derive from a common source and maybe there, maybe that's true, but maybe they're starting to look all homogenized because of the fact that they get rolled into the conquering scavengers paradigm and made all the same that way. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just even when I think, you know, that whole caveman idea of like, oh, and then there was fire. And then we went on for all this time. And then we figured out how to hunt. And then these are the weapons we made over this period of time. There's just um, so many gaps, not just with whatever bones. I've read that book, Sapiens, and it's just like, I can't get down on any of it. It all feels like the same fake science. I think in our lifetimes, what things have we seen evolve? In our lifetime, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it's more likely. This was something I was thinking of earlier that we devolved from, you know, in that not devolved de is even the wrong word, but just descended. <laughs> uh, like you were talking about before, we were talking about before how you know we need sort of the contrast for life to be interesting. Well, 
if we're coming from source, then it makes more sense to me that we would sort of start, we would start in this realm in a complete alignment and attunement with nature, with all of our psycho technology online. So we'd be technologically advanced without needing the actual manufacturing of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It would all just be because we, it wouldn't, wouldn't be like we knew we came into the mental space of this realm and that everything is mental. We wouldn't need to know it consciously. It'd just be an expression of who we are, right? We'd just be ourselves in our true, truest sense. And there would be a lot of novelty and interesting life experiences at that point. So we wouldn't maybe want the contrast or need it. But as we went further and complexity and novelty increased, then also the pendulum swing of forgetting and waking up would get wider and wider. So does that all make sense? I think that it's more plausible that we came from a sort of perfected origin rather than this uh, progressivism idea that we came from monkeys and we're on our way and always getting better. I don't know about that at all. Yeah. I feel like um, I've had friends that have done past life regression and one of them has gone back so far in different lifetimes that she remembers that us as a collective, whatever we gave up hurt us so bad, we agreed to forget. So like some big original ancestor trauma. Yeah. I don't know why that Avatar movie, that big tree philosophy. Like when I look at the Grand Canyon, I think. Oh, I get it. It just feels like something was drudged out of there. It looks like a mine. It doesn't look like, you know, whatever the iceberg slid through here and it mainly is whatever. I just feel like something was stolen from us. We let somebody or something harvest something on our planet that we didn't realize how valuable it was to our entire being. And when we gave it up, We've spent lifetimes since trying to recreate it. And that's where I think the Tower of Babel idea comes in. Interesting. There's a, I think it's Velikovsky that talks about the Grand Canyon being like electrical scarring from some massive atmospheric event. Yeah. Which is a good theory too. I believe something more like that. I'm more inclined to believe the Americas are where life is on that we know on this realm. We came from here. Um, I think every culture came from here first. I feel like the Gulf of Mexico is probably the biggest freshwater lake on the planet at some time. And they flooded it with seawater. Something else happened. Like, you know, maybe the firmament cracked and things came in. Maybe polar shifts happened if we're on a globe model. Like the philosophy of what shape the planet is, I'm really open to. Um, The philosophy of space, I'm open to. The philosophy of NASA, I'm not. Like, you know, there's <laughs> like, there's, um, different. Yeah. I'm agnostic on all the things except that NASA is full of shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I try not to it, like the whole Nazi, you know, I, somewhere the Americas feel like they were taken over. Our history is so young on purpose. When you look back into old pictures of the Americas, it just seems like a lot of young kids raising young kids, a lot of young kids on farms, a lot of um, just a very, very young society because they took our old people before. Like everything they tried to do with this great reset, they did to us before. 
I'm sure of this. I, I think you Starting get rid of the, the old elders, people. Yeah, you separate the elders. the elders. You get rid of the history. And if all of them die and you leave them with no food, water, shelter, then they all want to come to your camp and be re-educated. And then you got them because they're willing to tell their kids anything to not be in trouble by whoever the God Verment is. God Verment is how you said. <laughs> yeah, that's the China God Verment. <laughs> Communist God Verment. I have friends no joke. that government's the biggest religion in the world, dude. I have friends that um, they're first generation American from Cuba. And because it was such a communist regime, they're like grandmother's whole life. And when their grand, when the parents first got here, all broken, they weren't allowed to have religion in Cuba. They weren't allowed to worship anything. So they have like Jesus on their walls and Santeria and hoodoo and voodoo and Catholic shit and Muslim shit. Like some of the Cubans, it's cute how much of the, they're like, Oh, and a Buddha, you say this is good. Bring it in. Shiva. Yes. I want like whatever these good religious symbols are, they just just want them all because they weren't allowed to have any of them. And that is crazy. Even right. Like talking to somebody my age that's been here their whole life. The idea that their mom wasn't allowed to have a God is insane to, or, or a practice of that is insane. And it's just an Island right there, like so close off the coast. And so much of our state is ex communist you know they're they fleed they got on a raft and floated over to come here because there was an ideal of america that is still worth fighting for to them and so it's crazy that you know red white and blue that feeling of freedom of what it means how we have forgotten it how we've you know what it means to fight for something bigger than yourself but because they weren't even allowed to have a god they see how important it is and how we can't lose it like, screw a gun. Screw a, like, it's like, no, you're not allowed to have a God. You're not allowed to have a root to God. You're not allowed to practice a ritual. Not allowed. Yeah, you got to just be in, you have to have government as your God, basically. Yeah. And that's yeah. what one ever talks about with communism. And it's more powerful to have a spiritual connection to source in whatever way you you want to qualify it than to have a gun even. The First Amendment is freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom to gather. Why every, every American, Second Amendment, Second Amendment, Second Amendment, your Second Amendment is only there to protect your first. Your gun is only there to protect so you have the right to worship as you see fit or not worship at all. And if you want to worship and tell the world about it, you should have the freedom to do that. And if you want to meet up with a whole bunch of people that want to worship like you want to worship, that's the whole First Amendment. That's the whole first thing. And we're such this gun-toting country and we talk about mass and vax and all these other things. But no, it was all just so that you guys could Get together in church and find God together. That's the First Amendment. That's how important it is. It's not about comedy and making each other laugh. It's not about, yeah, you can say fuck the president. That's cool, too. But it's just about you finding a route to God and being able to tell other people about that. That's how important it is. Now, our friend Snake Jones says a lot that family is God. And that that like transmission from generation to generation and that bigger tapestry of all of us woven into this infinite existence is kind of what constitutes the idea of God. And 
an alternate way of looking at the right to bear arms is the right to have arms like a family, family arms, family crest. And that's something that's totally lost. I mean, how we have, like you were saying, a really short memory of history. Most of us can only really recall maybe back to great grandparents. And if we were put to the test of, you know, name everybody that you're related to, (laughs) it's kind of crazy because that would have been, I assume that there was a time where humanity generally had a much, much stronger memory of where they came from and that they would be proud of that. And I don't know, I think losing consciousness of, of our links in the chain has a lot to do with us feeling cut off from nature. itself. You don't know where you came from. You don't know why you left. There you go. This is a big thing about people not knowing their family lineage is because you might be like from the long line of freedom fighters. You might be from a long line of gypsies. You might be from a long line of people that were like, I am not going to allow the queen to tell me how to worship. I want my kids to be able to worship and gather as they see fit. Like these are. um, Yeah, I feel like government. Uh, regimes, uh, isms are always to cap God. Because if you, if I just meet you in the middle of a field somewhere and whatever rituals you go through, whatever sigils, whatever magic that you legitimately have, and you meet me with whatever magic I legitimately have, and we practice together with love and no fear in the middle of wherever, other people will start to come and gather because we're energy and they'll come without knowing. They'll come without a message. They'll come without a crow. Like they'll just come. And that's what they don't want. That's why we can't gather. Like two in my name, it shall be. They don't want that. The powers that be because our high vibe is so much stronger than their low vibe. That's why one good thought in your head, you can manifest and you don't have a car accident every time you leave your house, even though you think about it. you know it's we're super powerful and 6d stuff 5d stuff whatever word you want to put on these things godly stuff heavenly realms so much more powerful than like a hades 2d or tataris 1d or whatever words that the greeks called it back when um no you're more powerful than that you are magic that is in flesh so I have this um, other thing that I say too, because I always call myself a witch. And I think that one of the biggest spells we did as witches and wizards was that we had to convince them to burn us at the stake to all come back this timeline right now. Well, that's quite a contrary idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think hanging, I think lynching is the actual real way you get rid of this negative energy. That's why Joe Biden did away with lynching. If you look back into the symbols of um, C used to be K, K used to be Q, Q used to be Kemet. And um, Q used to be done like the same way you hear people talk about a Jesus fish, how you would walk up to me in the sand and I would do half a curve. And you would do the other half a curve and we wouldn't have to tell anyone we were Christian. So we wouldn't be persecuted, but we'd have an understanding between each other about that. That's what the Q used to do. But we do it with a noose. We do it with a rope on the ground to let people know that we um, practiced this certain school of thought. Um, there's actual Q gospel and stuff, but I don't really get into all that. It was just a symbol in Egypt. C only represented a camel. 
That's what the eye, that it's easier for a rich man to get into a heaven than, a, you know, a camel through the eye of a needle. It's because C, the needle, the eye of the needle was the Q. And um, so I think there's a reason they don't want lynching and they uh, keep attaching all the nooses to racism because they don't want us to have that symbolism anywhere. Because it so goes when back you to say an older lynching, history of stuff. You mean like, you know, lynching the tyrants and rope like yeah like lynch hang i think that's how you get rid of a demon i think if you burn us you phoenix us and so i think all throughout time we collectively knew that for this spell to go off that we took over the timeline in 2022 why the star clock was perfect we all had to be burnt hmm so no, that's interesting because the symbolism of fire does have to do with like purity purifying the most purifying element everybody always thinks it's water and that's mm. why we start the zodiac with fire yeah i always i point this out a lot but the word for in greek for fire per pure it's where we get the word pure it's Isn't where we it get funny? the color symbolism water. of white representing purity because of the the white ash left behind from fire hmm that's pretty yeah uh, I had a question pop up in my mind, though. Uh, there, is there anything in your like daily practice or regular practice toolkit in terms of what you do to for a spiritual practice or witchy practice that might be interesting to go over for people to con- consider emulating or be inspired by? Um, I do use a sound bowl anytime before I get on my microphone. I believe that when we're doing these recordings, all the energy, you're going to feel all the energy, even people that listen to this, like, you know, however many years from now. And it matters that you're in a present place the same way as hugging your little kid self. You have to make it so that this moment you never have to go back to and hug and be present of that. So because I'm so auditory, And I believe harmonics were super important with how powerful we used to be as humans and us doing tones and uh, not just the, uh, not just E, but we would tone together and you would do different ones and I would do different ones. And if the right people, I think we could levitate shit like the magic that could just come out of our, our vocal cords, our golden throat chakras. Um, And so I like the sound bowl, like I like sage. Um, I feel like it cleanses instead of smoke, it's harmonics that go through the air and kind of cleanses my space so that I can be present and allow. Sometimes it feels rough. Sometimes the words that come out of me are I'm feel uh, angry or I'm, you know, tiger. I usually like try to own an animal when I get kind of angry or grr at the world. Um and it hurts more to come out, but I, I try to make, like, I know that I cleanse my space and that's supposed to be said too, and not be as harsh on myself for the stuff that hurts a little bit to come out. Um, and then, uh, I do try to meditate. I do yoga and I have an amazing, uh, I call all my lady friends, witches. Because they're so powerful, but I have a great coven, and I also have separately some pretty amazing magical wizards and witches in my life that um, are good sounding boards. 
<laughs> it's all about the sound. Yeah. You got to have a sound mind. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad to hear that energy hygiene is the most crucial thing of a spiritual practice. The grounding stuff out. Been getting real familiar with some trees lately <laughs> myself. Kind of moving my experimenting with moving my meditation to this place in the park where there are big, big trees. And it's definitely helped me kind of fall into that hypnagogic rhythm with the meditation, which is interesting because, you know, there's more going on. I'm in a park. There's possibly like construction sound or kids running around and playing, but connecting to the actual life force of that tree intending for it to help. It really does make a, by the time that the timer goes off, if I if I even set a timer, I'm like, oh, that's a huge head change. Maybe more than sitting and breathing was doing for me in my bedroom lately. So, yeah, we've got a couple minutes in the first hour. Tell them more about your show that we have not mentioned much. <laughs> What's the point or purpose if there is one or the, you know, what are some of your intentions behind it? What can people expect to hear? What are some favorite episodes? Any of those questions or all of them um, that we can fit in. I call uh, my show a project of projection. I feel like we're all just walking through life and deciding what mirrors to put in front of us. So I try to sit down and have real conversations. I prep for my interviews. I usually write down like five questions. Sometimes I don't make it to one of the questions. It just depends where it goes. And uh, I've definitely cried on my show before and guests have. And I have made myself die laughing on my show and talked about subjects I never thought there is there's no um it's like spiritual alchemy with conspiratorial minded people that's what i feel like the conversation is all of season 1 is just me one on one sitting down with a bunch of people all content providers and somewhat authors podcast hosts and uh some of them i dissected the podcasts so i only like if they were three people on the podcast i wanted each one of them solo I didn't want them comfortable with their co-hosts. And um, season two, I think I'm going to sit down with more of a contoured conversation that I pick two people and have them in at the same time that I just want them to meet or if I'm curious or I think that like, oh, you guys are going to be great together. And I've just been waiting for you guys to meet. Um I have a couple little ideas like that. And then I think it's cute too. Like I have friends that, you know, like Buffalo and Legs, I want to have them both on to just talk about their relationship. I know they do their own show like that, but I'd also uh, like Lindsay and Johnny on to talk about Oh, they're fun to have on. Yeah. So um, I'd like to do that kind of stuff too. And uh, I... Lindsay and Johnny of Rogue Ways. Well, Johnny is just like some deadbeat artist. Amazing artist. I mean, amazing (laughs) artist. (laughs) You probably didn't hear that. Kind of defeats the purpose of that type of deprecating joke. I love Johnny. Just kidding. And uh, yeah, I think I want to do something like a vlog series I've been talking about with my Maria that we want to go out and about and kind of do stuff more. I kind of we did film some stuff when I was in Tennessee of recently, but you know, we just weren't comfortable with the cameras always like here, here, here in your face. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of excited what the future holds. And I think this network of true people 
I'm not even worried about truth so much anymore. I'm just worried about true people that are trying to be true to themselves and with honesty and integrity that is in this little podcast network. Um, I'm excited to see what we do with entertainment and knowledge for the next decade. I think there's going to be a huge void. And I think, you know, because everyone's waking up that the Black Mirror is bullshit, but people are still going to want content. And I'm glad we're here. And I'm kind of ready to take my part in that. I don't feel insecure about it anymore. Yeah. I mean, if we're taking back the black mirror technology, <laughs> is it really inherently bullshit? It's bullshit that we were accepting from the authorities inside the black mirror. But if we, like you said, true people who let their quest to know themselves be their guiding star, their North star, their inner North star, I think that that's a totally acceptable way to use this particular technology and will probably lead us back to the spiritual version of these abilities, right? Yeah, scribes, crystal balls. We have no idea what they were looking into. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, we're going to finish up the first hour. We'll be back on the Plus Extension for everybody that wants to subscribe on my Rockfin or Patreon and see where we go from here. I've really enjoyed this free-flowing exploration with you so far, and this is exactly what I wanted, a sort of no agenda, let what happens happen type of podcast, and we got a whole nother hour to go. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and definitely check out Cheney's Project Cheney. It is a good time. I got to listen to a few of those today, caught up on the recent ones, and... And I really like the way your mind works, especially the Hollyweird decodes. (laughs) You'll be 41. I'll be 41. Yeah, it's perfect. Right on. I'm following up from the Lindsay episode too. Yeah, it's per. It's a good buildup. Oh, you know what? This will be 14. <laughs> Season 8, 14. So it's like a year of 41. That. I love that. That's perfect. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, we'll see everyone on the other side. of another grand podcast episode this one's been in the making for a while i've known cheney since i don't know mid last year and she's been on so many good shows that i love i've wanted to have a one-on-one with her on interverse for a while but this is the time and the place that it all lined up and i'm grateful because this was actually really really perfect conversation i think we stuck more towards the spiritual side of conspirituality, which I feel like is expectable for what Interverse is more like. You know, I never really intended 
originally to be like a conspiracy podcast. And so I don't necessarily consider myself as such, although that's probably, it probably seems like we're really deep into conspiracy around here. I'm just interested in truth. I'm not trying to like make entertainment out of boogeyman and the darkness of the world. I want to get to the root of how our connection to the things we see that we don't want in the external reality is something that is from within, you know, based in our trauma and our unintegrated shadow or our rejected shadow is another way of looking at it. So really loved this episode. Hope you guys check out Project Cheney. I hope you come watch us on Weaving Spiders. Welcome. She does jump in there in the mix from time to time. One of our great recurring cast members. Uh, so yeah, there's a few things I want to get into for this outro. First of all, the idea of a magical practice, you know, that is a tricky one for me because I do respect and observe that there is such a thing as like magic that we can manifest different realities for ourselves, that we can change our own consciousness and our own perspective with certain practices. But on the other hand, a part of me is like, why do that? Why do that if I just have trust in universe and trust in self that everything's going to happen as it should? So it's kind of like a weird paradox, right? I don't want to control the universe. I want to let it unfold. In fact, there is no controlling it. So it's almost like the practice of setting up some sort of ritual that you think is going to help you control something is really just helping you control your own insecurity about not having control (laughs) over reality. That's the deepest conspiracy to me that I've discovered is the, uh, it's a very contrarian idea is the idea that nobody's in charge. What if that was the truth? What if there's actually no, they in charge? I mean, there are they's out there and the they's can be quite, Nefarious, right? But on the other hand, I really don't think there's a a number one super bad Cthulhu monster that is the one Sauron really them all. Anyway, I guess do what you want to do. You know, magical practices are cool. Be aware that what you wish for can definitely come true. And so if we lack specifics about that, might not come true in the way that we wanted it. I mean, I have an example story. I don't know if I can tell this very easily, but a long time ago, I did a type of ritual, you could say. It was pretty light on the ritual, but it involved visualization. It involved another person that I wanted to do something with just as an experiment. It wasn't anything major. Just wanted to see if I could like not force them to do something I wanted them to do, but generating a particular experience, right? And so I did this ceremonial thing and I visualized the experience really carefully. And I even had a date pop into my head. It was like months in the future. And I wrote down the date. I remembered kind of the visual of what it was. And then interestingly, the date rolls around and uh, it ended up like, I didn't know what was going to be happening on this date because it was like six or more months uh, before when I did this ceremony. But when the date rolled around, well, the day before it, I was out at a concert watching music and it was the day before this date. And right as pretty much right after the clock ticked over to midnight, 
I had the experience of what I had visualized in the ceremony months and months before. But the weird thing was it wasn't with the person that I thought it was going to be with. And maybe I wasn't specific enough in the ceremony because when I was visualizing, um, you know, maybe I needed to put their name in or maybe you can't really control one specific person and force an outcome with them. But I ended up having this meeting of a stranger, but who looked like and reminded me of the person who I sought to create an experience with. And it was like benign, you know, it was like a, basically like a conversation was the whole gist of the experience, you know, nothing major. It was just an experiment. I was trying to keep it minimal just to see if it would happen. And it kind of did. It kind of did, but it wasn't exactly like I wanted it to. So, or I say wanted, like I thought it would be. So just keep that in mind. I don't know if that's good advice or not. I'm not really here to give advice. (laughs) Just keep in mind that the more specific and intricate you can get, the better. That really applies to some of the stuff about the second hour conversation that I had with Cheney. I should tell you about that. So an hour two, if you want to get it, get on Patreon or my rock fin, you know, the drill. I don't know if I want to go through all that right now. You know, you look at the show notes. You can find the link to Patreon and Rockfin. You can support me there and you can get the extended version of this episode and all the others. Yada, yada. Please do. It's worth it. I appreciate it. All the support I'm getting from everybody is helping me out massively and letting me do this full time. Couldn't, I don't even know how to express my appreciation. It's huge. In fact, I got a lot more appreciation to express after. I go through the plus extension contents. So with Cheney in the second hour, we talked about Cheney's own personal hero's journey, a little bit more about her backstory to becoming a a witchy person, <laughs> a conspirituality podcaster and all that. Discuss res- how to receive magical experiences by opening up to them, learning about one's own signature psychic power styles. A uh, really favorite topic for me lately, synesthesia. And the Western culture's what I call disassociative sensory disorder. Yeah, kind of like disassociative identity disorder, but it's the dividing of the one reality into the many senses and losing the connection and that we're regaining now that shows us that colors have a taste and numbers have a sound and all of that, right? Synesthesia. Cheney also gave us a powerful sigil magic tutorial from her own experience and her own practices. And we had a discussion about servitors and egregores and tulpas, that type of spellcraft, and how that might relate to transhumanism and the invasion of the body snatchers we seem to be uh, undergoing right now. And we also talked about the indivisible, the infinite self. There's a lot more than that in the second hour, but that's my best attempt at a synopsis. I hope you check it out. Support Interverse, support me. Also, go get into Cheney's Her Goods. She's got great episodes. Recommend it highly. And now, this is something I've been meaning to do for two weeks. I've been swamped, guys. I've been swamped. Uh, the last two weeks have been beautiful and wonderful. A lot of sociable stuff going on. Meeting with everybody at the 19 Feathers Farm. Hanging out with Gabe here for a week. It's like dissident. He chilled at my house. Not for a full week, but for several days. Got to see Rachel and Martin and Snake Jones's family, all kinds of good stuff. And of course, it was my birthday the week before that. So that was very busy for me. And I'm not saying busy like a complaint. It just, you know, things kind of pile up whenever I get out of my routine. 
So my routine is pretty go, go, go with content creation and all that. So all that is being said to let you know that if you've emailed me or if you do email me in the near future and it takes me a couple of days to get back to you, just hold on. It's not because I don't want to talk to you. Or if you get a shorter response, it's not because I'm not stoked to hear from you. Uh, you know, it's just kind of piling up on me and I'm doing my best and emails and responding to things promptly is apparently not my strong suit. So, you know, forgive me for that. But a couple of weeks ago, you may already have heard about this, but the uh, wonderful, wonderful Jennifer Brewster over in our Telegram group and SB Alger from Weaving Spiders, they teamed up along with many others to create a GoFundMe to help me get the tuning fork of my dreams, big giant tuning fork from tunedearth.com. Go check those out. They'll blow your mind. I showed them in Telegram sometimes. And today I'm going to make the pre-order. The dude's out of stock of the one I want, maybe all of them, but they're, you know, getting manufactured. So I'm going to pre-order this tuning fork today. Really excited about it. Don't know how long till I'll see it. But because this GoFundMe was so massive and so generous, I really have been wanting to go through and just thank everybody personally. So I'm going to do that now. I'm going to go through the list of people who donated to this GoFundMe. It was so so kind and so magical. Uh, the the crew figured that for the fork that cost eleven hundred and eleven dollars, that if they got thirty three people to donate an average of thirty three dollars for my thirty third birthday, that they could get it. Which they pulled it off. <laughs> I'm like still kind of just blown away. It's such an such a kind outpouring of love and support. I really can't wait to get that bad boy and use it for all the Jedi stuff that I can use it for. So let me go through the list of people. And if you don't hear your name, it's because you donated anonymously. And I only know who one of the anonymous donors is. Carol. <laughs> I just called you out. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. But let me go through the list. Owen Hunt, a.k.a. Bootsy Greenwood. Thank you, man. Beth Martins. I love you so much. Thank you for the generous donation. I heard she was the last one that pushed it over the edge. Jerry Avinjarvi. I hope I said that right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, man. Love seeing you in the Telegram group. I better go just go through these a little faster. Um, Melanie Price, Debbie Simonelli, Lindsay Sharman. Thank you, Lindsay. Joey Pajek. Pajek? I'm sorry if I get names wrong. Francisco. Quisada, Shandon Baker, Gordy Hamill, Jolene Post, Stella Moon, Sean Clark, Juan Ayala, one on one, one to one. Which one is it? Mandela Effect. Uh, Kalina Lux, Kabir Moscoso. I've never said, said your last name before. And you're like one of my best buds. That's funny. <laughs> uh, Joshua Donahue, Ariel Coulter, Mario Garza, Rachel Munaz, Munaz. <laughs> my dad, my dad donated. Thanks, Tim. Tim, dad. Sean Alger, Alger, SB Alger. Kaylee Burkana. My mom donated. Wow. Thanks, mom and dad. Braden Moses. Kabir donated twice. My goodness, Kabir. Thank you so much. Uh, Chris Myers, Juliana Bick, Reagan Rimple, Jen Brewster. Thank you, everybody on this list and also to the few anonymous donors. It's the. Nicest thing anybody's ever done for me, really. I mean, I don't know, other than my parents giving birth to me and taking care of me 
till I was an adult and several times as an adult. <laughs> but seriously, uh, I promise to use it only for good. And I hope that you understand the gratitude I have. And I wish that there was a stronger, better way for me to express it to each person individually. And I probably should go through and send everybody a personal message or a thank you note. Yeah, I think I will do that. I just spoiled it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's the outro. I think that's all I wanted to talk about. The, this is a good episode. I got a lot more coming up. That's awesome. Let me know if there's somebody you want to hear me talk to. I'd love to hear from anybody. Email me, chance at com. Also, of course, you can hit me up for the one-on-one Oracle Card Tarot I Ching readings or sound healing sessions. Would love to work together to do that. And um, yeah, okay. There's probably more to say, but hey, support the show, whatever, which way that you like. Check the notes. The very bottom of the every episode description has got the various affiliates that you can get supplements from or other ways to support the podcast. And all in all, just thanks for listening. And a great way to support is to share the show with a friend. If you know somebody who would like what we do and don't be shy about digging into the old archives before maybe you got into interverse, there's some great stuff in there. So I'm going to play us out with a track called super gravy, super gravy. <laughs> it's by K-Lab and uh, Sticky Buds. I love this track. So I hope you enjoy it. See you guys soon. Much love, everybody. Can't wait for tomorrow night's Vibrant and uh, Weaving Spiders on Saturday. A lot of good stuff. So much content. Oh, we're doing a live one on Thursday, live interverse. A bunch happening this week. Okay, okay. I'm out, I'm out of here. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.